Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. As always, by my co-host, Prez, that's at Presidente on Twitter. Prez, how are you doing? Good. I'm hanging in there. Yeah, you're good? Hooping t- I was hooping today, and you know how the last games, everyone's tired and sort of bullshitting. We were There was this little kid who wanted to play, and we were kind of just not letting him play, but we were like, all right, Connor, your turn, you play. And our team just took turns like punishing him he was like four and a half feet tall so you employed like playoff strategy in a pickup game yes he was getting hard picks multiple combo crossovers just son was dizzy out here oh man i'm very proud i'm very proud of myself good job i hope that you're very pleased with yourself for bullying somebody fuck them Uh, kids (laughs) Uh well it's good to know that you're you're happy because uh, I'm not because the Celtics are up two one in the finals but we're not going to talk about that right now not yet anyway uh we are going to talk about other things with our guest first time on the pod his name is Tyler Leeds that's at prospecting NBA on Twitter he is the author of the prospecting leads subsec Tyler how you doing. I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm, I'm honored. I'm excited, a little bit nervous, and uh, mainly ready to hate the sound of my voice whenever y'all post this. So let's do it. I'm excited. You'll get uh, used to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all good. Eventually. Who knows, man? It's brutal. I talk all day for my job, and I, I have not gotten used to it yet. So we'll see. One day. One day soon. Uh, all right. But before we get started, I do have to make an announcement. The Strickland has Patreon. You can subscribe to it. There's a $6 tier that gets you access to this pod right here, Pod Strickland, every Friday that I do with Prez. You also get access to the mailbag that is now under Andrew Drew Steele at Scooter Toots, his direction. That's every other week. You also get access to the Strickland Discord with a conversation about the Knicks and basketball and apparently where Jason Tatum ranks among the NBA hierarchy is the current conversation. Uh, that conversation never stops. Their further tiers is another tier that gets you access to Strick and Roll, which is my solo pod where I yell about the mix a lot, even more than I already do. You also get access to wonderful weekly articles on our Patreon written by Jack Huntley and Matthew Miranda, two of the best in the business. We also get some special pieces by others. This week we had one by Jeffrey Rasmussen. You might know him as at Frank Barrett 119 on Twitter awesome article on um, a very depressing subject, which was how terrible Tom Thibodeau was as a coach this year. There are further tiers. There's a $15 tier, a $30 tier, $50 tier, and a $100 tier. Those come with a variety of additional benefits like live watch parties, merchandise discounts, listening in on pod recordings, and even potentially co-hosting a pod 
podcast alongside yours truly. If you choose to subscribe, thank you. And even if you don't, thank you, because none of this would be possible without your support. So without further ado, let's get started. Uh, Prez, take it away. Well, I guess we should get the final shit out of the way. I know you got some rants. Um, I didn't watch the second half of the last game because it was clear that the Warriors were here to bullshit and not to play. Um, They were passing up layups and not taking Boston very seriously, even though Boston was giving them the fucking business. Um, It was honestly like we can talk about, I, I hate, you know, legacy ranking conversations and about like, oh, where does Tatum rank? Or how is this Celtics team if they win compared to the champions of years past? Like, I don't care too much for that. Um, I do appreciate a good defense and I do appreciate how locked in the Celtics were, but I'm just kind of annoyed at the Warriors right now. And I don't know if I have any confidence in them. So uh, I thought they would come out a little more spry, but. uh. Folks, like if a, you didn't if you didn't hear Schwinn's predictions, he kind of predicted this last go around. So, uh, dub, unfortunate dub for Schwinn. The worst dub. Um, it, that, by the way, your disappointment in the Warriors was like very immigrant dad uh, disappointment. I respect that. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, you got to the finals, but didn't you know beat the best team for shame? You fucking failure. Uh, I. <laughs> Would like if everybody just stopped complaining in this finals. That would be awesome. Um, because all we've heard for like that, since game two, it was like between game two and three, all we heard about was, oh my God, the Warriors are so physical and Draymond Green is playing football. And then after game three, all we heard about was that Boston fans are cursing. Like, I don't know what we're doing here. Um, yeah, okay. Like, they were cursing. Like, please. I'm not sure what, like, what do you expect? What do you think is going to happen? What what do you want anybody to do about it? Just shut up. Just shut the fuck up because nobody cares. Uh, but, yeah, I would like if we could just shut up about complaining about <laughs> each and everything between games. Um, also, yeah, like, I'm really sick of – I'm honestly, the entire Boston discourse, the, the entire playoffs has been nauseating, like, super nauseating. I'm sorry. I don't need to feel happy for Al Horford. You know what? Fuck Al Horford. That's how I feel about it. Like, okay, like, how is he an underdog? They like, like, like he gets presented as this like massive underdog story. It's like, does he make fucking, like thirty five million dollars? The fucking guy was the third pick overall in the draft. He was the highest pick from a championship team, a college championship team. Like, this is not an underdog story. He, if you want to be real, you could make a reasonable argument that he's been an average outcome for a third overall pick. That's a pretty reasonable assessment to make of Al Horford's career. Average fucking Al Horford, who, you know, was most famous before this year for being LeBron's fucking plaything on his way to the finals every year in the fi- every year in the Eastern Conference. So, no, I don't feel happy for Al Horford. I'm never going to feel happy for Al Horford because fuck Al Horford. And also fuck Grant Williams, who, <laughs> like, spent this guy, like, I, I just don't want, like, this entire thing with the Celtics is so annoying, right? Where it's like, which, like, I'm fine with, like, the first, like, they played the Nets. The entire thing was like they get all this praise, like oh they're so physical with KD. They pushed him around. They muscled these guys. They didn't let him get to his spots. And then every ever since that point, every time they've played a team that was like pushed back, right? So against Milwaukee, when Giannis was doing Giannis gigantic brawling fucking I'm jacked and our superhuman freak things, it was like they're letting Giannis play football. And then you know Draymond Green set a moving screen and look. 
I think we all know that nobody in the Celtics has ever set a moving screen. Definitely not Al Horford. Definitely not Kevin Garnett. He never did that when he was on the Celtics. So, like, I'm just so sick and tired of this shit with this fucking team where it's like they're getting painted as this, you know, like, oh, like they're overcoming all this shit. Like, okay, they want, they're probably going to win a championship. So, naturally, you overcome things when you win a championship. This is not like some next level, you know, ad, like overcame so much adversity and like, oh my God, look at Jason Tatum. He's come through so much. The- has, has any has any high pick has any high pick? I want honest question. Since Tyler, you're about you're you're a draft guy too, so you guys answer this question. When was Tatum drafted? Was that 2017? Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Lonzo draft. Okay, so let's say going back to 2015. Okay, has any single player in that time drafted in the top five? Has any single player drafting the top five of any of those draft classes walked into a better competitive, consistently competitive situation than Jason Tatum did with the Celtics? Oh, I guess there's one guy I can think of. You want to know who it is? His fucking teammate, Jalen Brown. Okay, like other than that, like I mean, that's if you if you can correct me, feel free. Anybody? I don't know, Tyler. You can uh, you can. Uh answer if you want i mean there's other guys who came onto teams that were bad and then got good quickly but not any that i can think of that came in and they were just straight up good from the get-go yeah it's because it doesn't happen it's like a fluke once in a generation thing like the biggest adversity they faced was kyrie irving being a lunatic and like danny ainge holding on to his assets for too long like this is the adversity i'm supposed to give a shit about and like praise and, you know, let's elevate J- – Jason Tatum's a great player. Okay, He's going to be – he's a top 10 player in the NBA. He might be at some point an MVP caliber player, but he is not currently an MVP caliber player, even if they win a fucking championship. And we don't need to pretend like he is just because they might win a championship. That team is excellent, one through eight. That is why I thought they would beat the Warriors with – you know, I think it'll probably be a six-game series, but it's not going to feel like a super competitive six-game series, in my opinion. Um, it's a very good team. They have a bunch of really good defenders. Him and Jalen Brown are good enough offensively to make it work. Cool. Great. Fantastic. Wonderful. I do not give a shit, and I'm not going to respect them, and I'm never going to respect them because they play for the fucking Boston Celtics, who are in the dumbest city in America and have the worst, most undeserving fans in all of American sports. Uh, and that's how I feel about the NBA Finals. Tyler, don't feel obligated to lean into the hater vibes, but I, they, we are not opposed either. <laughs> I, I, I'm i not particularly anti-Boston. I can, I can understand the sentiment from an Eastern Conference uh, team here. Uh, I, I don't hate Al Horford. I think I'm, I'm kind of happy for Al Horford. Uh, I mean, he he plays basketball in a way that feels inherently Spursian. I've always wanted to have Al, Al Horford as a Spur. That was that was a, a dream for a while. Instead, we got Pau Gasol, so that was that was great. Uh, I don't know. I I think that Boston's good. I don't think that they're that. an incredible team. I think that I think they're an incredible team. And I don't think that Jason Tatum's a top five player in the NBA. But I could be proven wrong in that. I think that I mean, he's pretty young. There's a lot of room for growth here. I don't. Know, it's I, they're not abundantly hateable to me outside of just the general. You know, Boston populace, which I can totally understand that. But uh, Tatum seems like a nice guy, I guess. Every time they show the crowd, not bad. Every time they show the crowd, I feel like I'm watching 
January 6th in sports film, in sports, <laughs> sports film or something. It's just, I The annoying thing to me it. is, is because people are like, I shouldn't say people because a lot of people and ESPN hyper fixate on immediately on those legacy type narratives. We don't get, and I know I'm like preaching to the choir here, but we don't get enough discussion about what actually makes this Celtics team different or cool as much as an annoying Boston team could be cool. Right. Which is like two way player depth. That's significant and, you know, very uncommon and shit like that. So, you know, and defense, obviously like nobody's going to fucking talk about defense other than saying they want it more and they switch a lot. That's pretty much the extent of what you'll get on like ESPN, but it's, it's remarkable, and you know Udoka has made in-game adjustments a couple of times that are impressive, but all of that shit is not as uh, not as clickable as, as as all these other annoying things. So you know we'll we'll see what happens. Like I can't hate Al too much just because he's Dominican, and even though he's not Puerto Rican, I'm like close enough. We got Slim Pickens in the NBA. I know you're lying right now, so. That's... No, no, it's one of those things where PRDR is like, if it's one of us, we'll root for the other. But if it's both of them against each other, then fuck DR. So that's kind of how it goes. It's I... more like Yankees Mets than it is Yankees Red Sox. I do not believe you for a second. I'm sorry. I don't believe that you in your heart of hearts is happy for anybody uh, that represents the city of Boston in any capacity. I, I like it's really aside from smart, like I like the players on the team. That's what makes it even more annoying for me because like I still don't like the Celtics as a concept philosophically, but like two way guys, depth. It's an interesting, weird, funky team. They don't get rim pressure, neither do the Warriors. That's why this is such an odd fucking series to me. I don't think we've seen anything like that. I don't think we've probably ever had a finals that featured no significant rim pressure from either team. I'm just thinking like the last 20 years, I don't think you can do that. I mean, even back in the 2000s, you had rim pressure through post-ups with those Lakers teams and the second Lakers teams and all that. And obviously the Spurs had, you know, Tony and Tim. Last year you had CP and obviously Giannis. So this is kind of just a weird series. And to the extent that, other teams are going to try to replicate that. I don't really think you can because, like, I mean, like you said, this is just a weird kind of aberration. Not, And I don't even mean that in, like, a negative way. I just mean, like, this is a funky final series and it's going to come, like, both teams are shot-making, no rim pressure, and lots of defense. And you got one team that's just passing up layups versus a really good defense because they think Al Horford is the Kempi Matumbo, so... Uh, not super confident in them. Um, so that's my. Yeah, they're, they're not. They're not winning this series unless Steph goes for like, you know, forty or something. Tyler, like what did you think would happen at the beginning of the series? I thought Golden State would be like. I thought I had them in six, but I, I might have been tripping. I don't know. Yeah, I would have said Golden State in six. I think the I would have still felt decent about Golden State in six or seven if Steph hadn't had a foot injury last in Game Three. That it definitely puts a damper on the was that uh, in the second half. Comeback. Yeah. It was in the second half. Yeah. Oh, that's why I missed it. I didn't. Was it like what happened? Is it? I I literally didn't know that happened. I don't know. All I know is that apparently he said that it was like the foot injury he had a couple years ago, where he missed a month afterwards. So mm-hmm. uh, that, that doesn't feel great. I, it kind of 
takes the wind out of the sails at the end of the finals. I love Golden State. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Steph, especially since we're not competitive anymore as a Spurs fan. Like you kind of get to lean <laughs> into some of the teams you hated before because I could not stand Golden State for about a three-year stretch there. But I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of in the, the business of really good NBA players continuing to add to their their bag of championships and, and awards, and I would have loved to see that from Steph. Maybe Jason Tatum is, is that new guy? Uh, I don't know. I, I wouldn't super bet on the structure of Boston competing to win titles for five more years, but that's probably more just. Like I think Boston they'll get. I think they'll get. I think they'll get one more year because Horford will be what he's on contract for one more year. I think they get one more year, and then they got to start making hard decisions because Brown will be up for an extension. They got to pay Grant Williams. So some of these guys that are cheap will no longer be cheap, and that is when things will get interesting. Uh, exactly, and I think that is to the point of whether or not we're going to be able to replicate any of these teams in, in future years. I think defensively, I think we're going to see a lot of that because both of these teams are kind of built in a future-oriented defensive capacity. But I just I struggle to believe that rim pressure isn't the be-all, end-all of great basketball when it comes down to it. I mean, there's occasionally fluke years where things happen in strange ways where certain offenses get hot and you can make runs in the playoffs. And it wasn't like the the East was a, a murderer's row on the way to the finals. I it's, it's a bizarre series, but I do think they're going to see teams built in a similar image defensively, at least going forward, because it is effective and the, probably the best way to be able to defend teams like this in the first place. Yeah, uh, I do think that the way Boston builds is interesting. I'm not sure, like, I mean, I think we, and not just you or me, I, I do this too all the time, but I think, like, sometimes we look at who won a championship and we're like, okay, what does this now tell us about right. what is the right way to build a team? And, like, more, I, I see, I, I don't know if, the, like, at least as a Knicks fan, I just think about, okay, I don't know how the Knicks should build a team, but I do know that for the next three, four, or five years, you're going to have to go through Giannis. You're going to have to go through a Jason Tatum-led Celtics team and probably Jalen Brown also. And depending on what the condition of Joel Embiid's body is, uh, him on the Sixers. And it's like, to me, that's just like, okay, you need as many big athletic dudes on your roster as you can have. And that is like the only thing that I've really taken away from this playoffs. And that's actually why I thought Boston would beat Golden State and why I also thought whoever came out of that Milwaukee-Boston series was going to win the championship this year. That is because, by Golden State's roster for sure. Yeah, I mean like their big wing is Wiggins Otto and Porter Otto Porter Jr. <laughs> it's like, like those guys are fine. But there, it's a totally different. And like, I I don't know if you guys agree this. I don't think Wiggins is the same athlete he was like two years ago. Even um, like he's still a good athlete. He obviously isn't like you know, it's not Evan Fournier out there. But like, he's not as explosive as he once was. I think you can see it more when he puts the ball on the deck and drives to the rim. Um, if he doesn't have a clear runway, he doesn't get like. I mean, if you go back and watch some of his younger highlights like he could yam on dudes when he decided to try um, which wasn't that often um but like i don't think he's has the same pop Otto porter jr obviously is like he went from a shooting guard to a power forward so (laughs) yeah and like Otto has to just like his body has to be very carefully managed right like he 
has already missed a, a few t- games. He's had a few injuries, I think, during this playoff run. Uh, and then other than that, it's like... I mean, this year and last year were the lowest free throw rates of Wiggins' career. Part of that is him shooting right? more threes, but that's also speaks to what you said. Like, it's smart for him to shoot more threes because he can't just, like, one foot in the paint take off like he used to. So um, it, t- it takes a, it takes a, a bigger toll on Like, I, I remember, like... Yeah, you see this. I mean, you see this with like if you think about this is a very, very much older player, but like Vince Carter, his last couple of years in the league, he would never dunk, right? He would never dunk. But there'd be like one or two times a year where he would have an open runway and he would just be like, right, "I'm going to do this now." But like, it takes more out of you as you get older to do that stuff. So that's also part of it. Um, but I want to say this: Wiggins, like, t- last quick stat. Yeah. So. This was the first year in his career that Wiggins was under 20% of his shots from 0 to 3 feet. It was 16. Last year was 22. Before that, 24, 25, 25, 26. So it's – I mean, he's a he, – I feel like he's an old 26 just because he racked up them early Tibbs minutes and he's just – you know, he's been mostly healthy and then he's had a stretch like in the middle of his career where he was maybe like a little unhealthy. But for the most part, the guy's racked up minutes and um, he's – He's pro- for whatever reason, like he's losing it athletically a little quicker than some other guys. Like he's only twenty six; he's not old, so it's kind of weird. But I mean, I don't know. He's been in he's been in the league since he was nineteen. Yeah, I think that's was... more of a product of his Iron Man nature. I mean, has he ever missed more than ten games in a season? I think he's averaged yeah, like thirty five minutes a game for his entire career, having missed I don't know probably. 30 games in total max like that's yeah that is an enormous grind in today's nba especially when you start your career under tips yeah um well i was gonna say though too is like you're talking about the future and kind of like how these teams play in a future oriented way and i i like i know what you're saying and i don't actually disagree with that in but i think it's more about like the personnel that it seems like they're building out long term, because obviously, like the wings that Golden State is playing right now are not the wings in their yeah. future. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like because like Kaminga and Moody. I mean, I, I personally think next game, like he has to roll the dice. I think they you have to. to. They have to roll the dice. They got to get Kaminga in there. They got to get Moody in there. They just need more athleticism. They need more size. They need more physicality on defense. More guys that are switchable on defense. Um, but like, like that is interesting to me with Golden State because I do like. First of all, I think the Wiseman pick was a fuck up from day one. I thought at the time they drafted him, it was a mistake. I thought it was a fundamental misunderstanding of their own identity, their core identity, what made them Golden State. Um, and I thought it was a reach of like trying to evolve. And that makes sense if you have a center prospect that is, like, actually worth that. But I, I just thought it was a poor evaluation. I think they wanted to see, like, a 20-10 and 10 post-monster big guy in him. And that's just, to me, like, that I don't see that with Wiseman at all. Um, but, like, with Kaminga and Moody, I think they had the right idea with both those guys. And it sucks that they're rookies. And I can understand why, like, Steve Kerr doesn't feel comfortable trusting them yet in, like, the midst of an NBA Finals. Um, I don't – it's reasonable. It's just, like, 
You have no other choice yeah. right now. Yeah, you have no other choice. But I just think they're really interesting players because as you see, Steph is like still awesome, but it's very obvious to me he's not 2015, 2016. Like he's not that guy. Um, and Clay is obviously not that. Clay's not like Clay is just obviously the, the Achilles and all that stuff. Maybe he comes back next year and it's a lot better. But I just think that you come off an ACL and an Achilles back to back. That's brutal at his age, especially. Uh, and then Draymond is, I, I have no words for whatever, like the best player who never shoots ever. I don't know. Like just one of the weirdest career trajectories <laughs> I can remember, but like, it's interesting to think about how if Steph holds on and let's just say clay transitions into being more of a rotation guy, like, can this team kind of find that? Can they evolve into staying as a title contender, but with like totally different strengths uh, that they play into? Because I do think that at some point, and I wonder, like, I, I do wonder how long Draymond is for Golden State. Like, at some point, there's a there's a tipping point of like, does his the shit that he does does that outweigh the things he doesn't do? Um. And it's getting closer and closer. I thought if they had played, if they'd, if, if in another series, in another reality, they could have easily lost that Memphis series. And I'm not even talking about because Ja got hurt. I'm just saying like there were games in that series, even without Ja, that they could have easily lost. Oh, yeah. And I feel like a lot of that is because that as good as the things that Draymond does are, if he's not going to shoot, if he's not going to score, if he's not even going to be a threat attacking the rim, that margin gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And you look at a guy like Kaminga and how you, he can evolve your team if he realizes his potential. Like, I just think they have a very interesting set of decisions ahead of them for the next couple of years. Yeah, man. They have no choice. They have to evolve. And Moody and Kuminga are two good guys to do it with. Like, as a start, you can, I'm sure you can work around the margins. Cause really, you're talking about evolving your role players. You, you don't have to, like, whole scale makeover. And I mean, you can't just rely on only jump shooting and you got to evolve from that. But, like, generally speaking, Kuminga gives you something that nobody else does on that team. Like his explosiveness and his ability to be versatile fits within what they're doing. Moody when he jumps, thing. when Moody he jumps, fucking trampoline, man. When Kuminga jumps around the rim, like if he just gathers without any load, like he, the way he gets up is so effortless. It's crazy. Yeah, he's a big time athlete. Um, so it'll be interesting. Um, pivoting professional podcast segue here so you were talking about how you know the the achilles heel here for golden state is you know big wings and and you mentioned how there's a lot of those guys at the top of the league right now and i know schwinn you've talked about this as a reason that that archetype of player you know other things being equal or similar is especially appealing for you in this draft and I know Tyler with the Spurs, it's kind of similar, right? Like, y'all, I mean, one similarity to me, at least on the outside looking in with the Knicks and the Spurs, both going in with similar picks is there's kind of a glut of guards of different sizes who are, you know, some are very good. 
obviously Murray's really good, and then other guys like Lonnie, and you know they're they're talented in their own right. Not many aside from Murray are really like the guy yet. And then there's Keldon, who's also awesome. I know Shun is a, has been sending me mock trade proposals to try to get Keldon on it for like three fucking months now. The answer is no. The answer is no. <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm like, okay, so Keldon's awesome, but he's six. What is he? Six six. But I know he plays bigger, but he's still six six. So he's got some junk in the trunk, though. He does got some junk in the trunk. Phil Jackson would have definitely appreciated him. Um, Kyle Lowry disciple. Right. Right, modernized and taller. Um, so, are, with this draft, are you are you still kind of just like uh, whatever? I'm just looking for talent for the Spurs, or is there a part of you that like you get one bonus point if you're like six eight, six nine, six ten? Like, how are we feeling about that? Oh man, so I have a particular affinity for project forwards, so that is my specific draft niche, and uh, <laughs> we've. We, in the past, like what, seven years, I think we've taken Lucas Samanich and Kyle Anderson, and that's Nick that's Legend, Lucas Samanich. Yeah, <laughs> so the the track record isn't great. We've been the rosters needed it for probably five years now, and I understand why they haven't gone in that direction in some drafts, and they wanted to prioritize talent. I think at nine, you don't draft for fit, and as much as I would love to get a forward to start at the four moving forward i don't think keegan drops and he's probably the only person i think that could actually start year one and be impactful in that role i think at nine it's just too high to draft for fit and draft for even if it is fit within your roster yeah i don't think that there's enough i don't think there's a creation talent in particular to pass on somebody that's worthwhile that can actually create a shot for themselves uh at nine and i think considering we have the 20th and the 25th pick oh, there's a lot of there's a lot of forwards in this draft. There's a ton of dudes that are going to fall. My guy, Kendall Brown, my personal favorite here. I, anybody that's ever talked to me about the draft knows I love Kendall Brown. Like, you can get real value at 20 and 25, take a couple swings, see where it goes. Like, I would you love to see him and I get real value. Davis. You can also get real value at 11. So I personally recommend trading with the Knicks so we can have the ninth pick and then. Uh, we can get one of the guys I love, like Johnny Davis, because y'all got enough guards who can dribble the ball and shit. So, what but about do that? we have enough guards that can dribble the ball? That's the real question here. I mean, like Keldon's big and can play some forward, but there's not a lot happening off the bounce. That's true. Dev- That's true. Devin Vassell's nice, and like I like him. He's a real great team defender. He <clears throat> hopefully will be a great shooter and has, has flashed some stuff off the dribble, but not exactly mm. a ton. I mean, Trey Ronnie's Jones, does that thing. count? That's yeah. not enough. Don't. Lonnie, I don't think that Lonnie's going to be back. I would be surprised if Lonnie's back. I think there's probably bigger aims of things to do with that cap space, and he's like, well, like an $18 million cap hold this year. I just, I think that there's definite room for real creation in San Antonio outside of DeJounte. Like, I think DeJounte is great. I, I, he's my favorite player. I, I, I love watching him play. I love watching him since he was a rookie, but he's not going to carry an offense on his own. And what we saw last year after we traded Derek was that, there wasn't really anybody else that could carry an off an offense either. I mean, it's real quick for unrealistic ex, unrealistic development, but I don't know. I think we need but, something else. Before you get to the next question, I was going to ask, which is just like who are, who else are you feeling at nine? Um, so is someone is someone like Johnny? Does he pass that threshold into like shot creation for you, where you're like extra bonus points for you on my Spurs board? 
Because that's yeah, kind of where would, I'm at with the Knicks. <laughs> yeah, I I would say so, especially considering the other options at that spot here. I mean, versus Matherin or, or, or mm-hmm. Branham, anybody in that kind of uh, small wing mold, which has kind of been what I've been delving into the last couple of weeks. He's clearly the best shot maker out of that bunch in terms of actually getting his own bucket off the bounce. And I, I trust him getting to the rim the most on his own. I think there's a ton of untapped potential with Johnny Davis, especially as an off-ball player as well. I think that you don't have to have somebody running a pick-and-roll every time down the court to have on-ball equity. Like You can run people off actions. You can get him in against a slanted defense. You can do, do some more creative things than maybe Wisconsin did this year with Johnny Davis. I think he's a good passer. I think he, for me, Johnny checks all the boxes in terms of actual creation off the bounce that would lead me to believe that he would be a good fit in San Antonio. Dyson's probably the only other person I would consider there in the, the small wing bunch as being worthwhile enough to pass up on like a Suhan or Atari or whichever way you decide to go there. Okay, yeah, one I, more I quick question. Or Dyson. So, you know, some teams you get a little bit more in the way of leaks and stuff like that. The Knicks, they don't really leak anything unless they want you to and usually what they do leak is some bullshit like oh we were working out Bolheim's son or something like that usually if something leaks and it turns out to be true it, it's because it's like about to happen right like, so like like like, like the ob pick uh the derrick rose trade the cam reddish trade like those got reported basically like a day before they went down so i assume those deals are probably already agreed upon um and then obviously the ob pick like he got drafted by the knicks so Okay, but yeah, that they, things generally don't leak other than that. Do y'all? Do you ever like? Are, is there any rumors or anything like that? Smoke about what the Spurs are gonna do, or is it just? Are y'all just shooting in the dark, speculating here as fans? I mean, we took Josh Primo at twelve last year. I don't think that anybody that's can that's prognosticate <laughs> with any real uh, certainty about what San Antonio's front office is gonna do in the draft. I think that if you look back a couple of years ago, the was it the 2019 draft when we, they, they took Samanich at 19. Uh, leading up to that draft, there was some leaks. Like the the interest in Samanich was like pretty well known, and in a way that was kind of uncomfortable as a Spurs fan that actually hear that there was real rumblings about it. And I think that kind of nipped him in the butt because uh, you, you could tell they liked him at 29, and then when Batadze was off the off the board at 18, they just decided to take him, and that was not ideal. And they kind of fell in love and made that public to the point where there was no chance of really getting him at 29. And that feels like the logic for why they took him there. And it kind of blew up and was not great. So I, I would be surprised if we get any real meaningful in- info out of San Antonio before the draft. And uh, yeah, it makes me really nervous. Yeah, I, definitely nervous. Um, I've had, I think before the season, I don't know when, maybe before the season at some point, I've said for the last like year or so that it feels like the Spurs have not had any plan. And that's not to say like, I actually haven't hated anything they've done in the draft. Like I generally think they draft fine. Um, I love Devin Vassell, DeJounte Murray. What is he? The 28th pick or something like that. Like he's obviously huge huge hit. Derek White was a late pick. They obviously got value out of him. Like they've done well in the draft. But it has not felt like they're building towards something to me, just from the outside looking in. Like it, the roster makes sense, but it doesn't. I'm like, okay, but where, like, what are we doing? Right. And I thought last year, 
I feel like they finally picked a direction. Uh, that's what it felt like to me, right? Like the DeRozan trade was a good trade. That was a really good trade. It didn't even matter what DeRozan did in Chicago because it was just like that team was not – there was a ceiling to that team, right? Like they were not going to compete for championships in the Western Conference or whatever continuing to go down this path. So I liked that trade. I thought pulling the plug on Derek White, who was a good – that's like one of the mu- most mutually beneficial trades of the year, I think, because it was like, okay, Derek White's a good, De- Derek White's a good player. What are we doing with Derek White? What does Derek White do for us? I don't think he did a whole lot for you, which isn't because he's a bad player, but it's like you still need more top-end talent, and him being solid and good just means way more on Boston because they already have those guys than on a team like San Antonio that's like figuring it out. Um, And they made another trade too that I thought I really liked. Why am I forgetting it? Where did you get pick 20 from? 20 was from the uh, Thad trade to Toronto. So essentially yes. package Thad yeah. and 32 or 33 for 20 and Dragic who we cut. Right, right. So, and so like, like, we got two firsts, which is – Yeah. I love that. That's and, awesome. Yeah, and I thought like – so I'm like, okay, they it's, – it's, it feels like for me, from the outside looking in, and for the longest time they've been kind of like playing this middle ground and this year, they were finally like, okay, you know what? The middle ground thing isn't working. We're not going to totally nuke the roster, but we're going to move off of the guys that aren't really going to be, in any conceivable world, part of the next competitive Spurs team, and we're going to get the value we can get for them. And so I thought those were both really good trades. Uh, I mean, you basically cashed in twice on the DeRozan deal, right? Because you cash in on getting on trading DeRozan out, and then you cash in on a piece that you got for DeRozan. So that's nice. And then you cash in on Derek White. And it's like, okay, like the, the Spurs also have all of this cap space. I think they have a lot of directions now they can go in. But like at least now it feels like, okay, we have DeJounte and we have some young guys that we like. I like Primo. I'm not sure if they should have picked him at 12, but I like Primo. I like what I saw of him this year. Um, for like a literal baby, he looks actually like a baby. Um, I thought he he showed some really nice ball skills, on ball stuff, creation, all that, all that shit. Um, and I love Vassell. I love Kelvin. I do wonder if like, and this is kind of like why I think the Spurs are interesting because there were a lot of rumors about Jakob Pertl at the deadline, and then they ultimately didn't make a move. But I do wonder if they revisit that in the off season because. He's entering the final year of his contract, if I'm not mistaken. And I imagine that they might want to ex- – he'll probably want an extension. And I'm not sure they want to commit an extension to him, which is why I wonder if not at nine they would consider a player like a Jalen Duran or a Mark don't Williams. Uh, you don't like – don't you – you're um, the one who are sending me all the Mark Williams stuff, it, Tyler. You don't it, like it, him? It, it was uh that that is that is not out of uh that is envy that is out of fear. I I am terrified of selecting Mark Williams at nine. <laughs> I think that a lot of that is educated by the fact that I mean Jakob Pertl is a great center and he's been really solid. Didn't drive a top ten or top twelve defense this season despite him being awesome and playing a ton and playing a ton with Dejounte. Uh, in general, my draft philosophy kind of comes at if if 
you have to wonder if maybe the prospect can be as good as Jakob Pertl. Maybe don't take him in the lottery. I don't think that that's really the best value judgment for most teams. And I would not want another uh, repeat of that situation. I don't really think Mark Williams has much of a shot of being as positive as Jakob Pertl offensively and maybe defensively, but I think Jakob moves a lot better. I don't know. I just, for one-dimensional centers offensively who are less scheme versatile than you'd like defensively. That, that is not my uh, not my cup of tea. I would love Duran. I think that he has at least some amount of vertical spacing that we have not really ever seen and uh, has enough potential as a, as a ball handler, as a passer, to interest me of something a little bit greater there. I just, yeah, Mark Williams is, is, is not it. I'd rather take take Coloco at nine if that's what it comes How do you down. feel about uh, Duran? I like him a lot. I think that he has a real chance to be at least somewhat scheme versatile in the league that is incredibly helpful from a five who can actually bang against bigger bodies. I mean, he's enormous and and he's not the six foot 11 that Memphis tried to say that he was to start the year, but I think he's going to be a physical monster at the center spot to start his career. And uh, there's a ton of room for growth and in a way that is exciting and uh, enticing to me in the lottery, much more so than a Williams who I don't think moves particularly well and I don't think really has much of a shot of guarding in the post against some of the bigger guys in the league. Are you ready for the NBA champs to be crowned? Join the finals action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA bet and get $150 in free bets instantly. Looking to turn another small bet into a big payday during the NBA finals? With a DraftKings same game parlay, you can do just that. This NBA season, a customer placed a $5 same-game parlay and won over $5,000. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets, like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more. And boom, you have a shot at an even bigger payout. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Make any $5 bet during the NBA Finals and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code TBPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Duran is, for me, like the most boring, happy outcome as a Knicks fan. Um, we're, it's not exactly the same situation with Mitchell Robinson as y'all have with Pirtle because he got another year left and Mitch just pretty much shit or get off the pot time for the Knicks. But, um, it's time to get off. Time, it might be time to get off the pot. So, like, he's – like, Duran is just – yeah, like, there's a range of outcomes and centers this high, blah, 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 all that stuff applies. But, like, when you fucking come down to it, he's more of a specimen than, like, 99% of the league, and he's still, like, 12 years old somehow. So – like, what are we really doing here? Like, guys, like, the other, he's, I like Mark Williams. Not at 11, but I like him. And like, go find me Mark Williams footage when two years ago. And this guy, I promise you, was fucking horrible compared to Duran right now. And it's just, like, the, the upside that Duran has passing and being scheme versatile, like you said, is way, to me, higher. I know some people, maybe I'm mistaken, a lot of people seem to be higher on Mark Williams' scheme versatility. Um, he definitely had flashes where he would try to overwhelm guys on the perimeter, and sometimes it would work. Most of the time, he would just end up fouling them by like playing in their shirt like he was like a guard, like Quentin Grimes or something. Um, but 
there was also plenty of games where guys who are never going to sniff the NBA just blew by him on the perimeter. So I'm just, I'm really not, I don't think he's scheme versatile. He's 240 I, I, right now and he's only going to gain more weight. I think, I think some of that stuff is about technique though. I think like he clearly, I, this is look, I, I, I've, I feel very confident saying this yeah. based on the fact that we saw, like there were concerns about, you remember Jason Tatum coming out as a prospect? There were concerns about his defense. Like, oh, like, is he really a good defender? Like, yeah, like Duke, Duke guys, like, you can generally... Coach K you has can not coached defense give them for, a like, bonus point, right? Yeah. <laughs> Coach true. K hasn't coached defense for, like, a decade. He definitely, for fucking damn sure, wasn't coaching anybody his last year at Duke. Um, he was just like, Paolo, go get me bucket, please. Um, Mark will be good at defense. I just don't think he'll that specific thing, which is like, like I well, think he'll be I don't phenomenal think be, close to the hoop. I don't think he's going to be like a switch monster, right? Like that's obvious. That's just obvious. There's no world where Mark Williams is going to be like, you're not going to run a scheme where you're switching everything with Mark Williams at the five. But also like, how if many you, to me, if you're going to be targeted by like non all NBA guys, like, so I could see someone like Marcus Smart being like, okay, Mark Williams is on me. I'm going to blow by him. Like, to me, that's – like, it's, like nobody's going to – I'm not going to expect any of so, you guys to defend Devin Booker or something. So, like, my, my thing with this here is, like, obviously this is – I'm not saying he's going to become this guy because yeah. if he became this guy, it would be ridiculous. Like, people – like, Rudy Gobert, obviously – I'm, look, again, I want to be very clear. I am not saying Mark Williams is going to become Schwinn Rudy Gobert. loves Rudy Gobert. Yeah. yeah, I love Rudy Gobert, right? My favorite. Such an exciting player to watch. Um, but, like, what you can do at that size and what you need to figure out, and I think you need coaching for this. I think you need attention to detail. Mm-hmm. You need to actually sit down and look at film. It's like, at his size, you have – at his wingspan specifically, right? He's got 9'9 wingspan, whatever the fuck his standing reach is. No, that is the standing yeah, reach. Yeah, like, okay, 99 standing reach. Yeah. Like, he doesn't need to... Yeah, he like, has a huge margin for error yeah, on everything. Exactly. <laughs> and so if he can figure out, like, okay, how far away from these players do I need to be mm-hmm. where they can't just blow by me, but if I put my long-ass fucking arms up, I'll still get a good contest on them. Yeah, and like the sweet spot. Yeah, sure. and, like, when you're... Like, the shit you're talking about that I've seen also... That to me is about coaching and lack of attention to detail and inexperience in a lot of ways. But most of it is, I think, comes down to coaching. Like, I promise you that shit where he's trying to get inside, like, the ball handler's jersey. Yeah, no one's going to let him do that in the NBA. Like, if the Knicks drafted him, and I don't think the Knicks were draft him at 11, and they probably shouldn't draft him at 11. But if they did draft him at 11, I promise you, by the end of his first season, Tom Thibodeau will coach that shit out of him real quick. Like... Real, real quick, that shit will be done with. And I think, you know, I, I think a coach like Pop obviously would get a lot out of him. Uh, I think he would clean up some of that stuff. I think for him, it's very key, though, to go to a place where there is a coach and a system and a, and and just like a development team that can work with that and has experience working with centers like that because he's going to be a drop pick. Like there's no world where he's going to be this – switch monster right but even within drop like we've seen this even within a drop scheme you're going to switch out at times it just happens right especially like at the end of a shot clock possession or something right like you're just going to switch and so those are the ones for me where i'm like okay if can he win enough of those possessions and i really do think with a good coach 
he can win enough of those possessions. Now, is the upside of that player worth the ninth pick for the Spurs, given all the things they need and the fact that they already have a Jakob Pertl? Probably not. And that's like also the argument for the Knicks to not take Mark Williams, right? Is that Mitchell Robinson is already an extreme, for all of his flaws, he's an awesome drop big center and also a great offensive rebounder, putback guy, all that shit. But I do want to talk a little bit about Jalen Duran because I think Jalen Duran is it Duran or Durant? Do I don't even know. I, I say Duran. I don't know. I'm, okay. I, I'm no expert at this. Okay. So yeah, well, I'm definitely not an expert about the draft. I'll tell you that much. Uh, but like Jalen Duran's a player. The more I see of him, I'm like, in a total vacuum, I think there are things like I, I kind of just think Mark Williams is actually a really solid offensive player, and I think he doesn't get enough credit for that as a prospect. But when you're talking about like, you know, Tyler, you talked about where the league is going, right? The future of the NBA, that type of thing. It is hard to watch the things Jalen Duran can do. And then you watch like a performance like Robert Williams had yesterday in the finals. And you look around how teams go five out and all this kind of stuff. A player like him is really interesting and like Prez, you just said you said earlier like he's boring. I, I agree with that. Like he is kind of boring, but he's also like like he can evolve the way you play defense and give you a lot of scheme versatility. Because I think he can play drop, but I also think he can be an awesome switch defender. And what that does for your defense is it can be spectacular as we're seeing. Uh, at times with Boston, right? Like, and that's not all because of Robert Williams, obviously, but he is a critical component of part of the reason why they're so, so hard to score on. And a guy like Duran, like, should the Knicks take a center? Probably not, given, you know, funny enough, between the Knicks and the Spurs, we have a similar, very uh, extreme lack of shot creation. Um, but, like, a, I don't know, a guy like him just really intrigues me as, like, you know, is he a player? You know, you talk about playoff series and stuff. If you play a Boston, is that a guy that, like, if he gets switched onto a Jason Tatum for a possession or a Jalen Brown for a possession, he can hold his own on the perimeter? Maybe. Like, he's got that type of physical talent. Yeah, I like I mentioned before, like, it's always going to be tough versus those guys. If you can hang even, like, a quarter of the time, then that's pretty sweet. You have to make it so that other guys can't do that to you, especially in the regular season. That's when it becomes really problematic because then you have more guys on the other team who, like, it's easier to find a mismatch. So, it, you know, it'll be interesting. And like I always say, any any young center and even some of the older ones take a couple of years to season. Um, one question I have for you, Tyler – I mentioned at the top, I don't really watch the Spurs. With Pirtle, were they mostly, like, having him drop back? Or did they ever let him, like, kind of play up? Or not not even switch necessarily, but just play up at the level or trap or anything like that? Cause, and I ask because one thing me and Schwinn always wonder with the Knicks is, like, you have guys who – you have the outlines of guys who could be successful while switching when you think about, like, Grimes and RJ – who both are stronger than their height and, you know, Cam who's long and Sims who's strong and has ballerina feet. And 
you know, stuff like that. So um, they the Knicks had some success switching, but they didn't do it very often because they played conservatively because that worked for them for the most part. But I wonder, like, if Mitch gets kicked to the curb and we end up having some combination of Sims, Taj, a rookie, or another free agent who's not a Mitchell-type center, like, we could see a little bit more of a less conservative defense. And I'm like, with the Spurs, how do you see the defense changing with, um, you know, I the Pirtle leaves and with Yaka, someone like, you know, didn't exactly I don't even know. Do y'all have a backup center? Like a hyper-aggressive scheme in San Antonio? We dropped him back a lot. And he would get to get up to the level some and, and do some hedging. Uh, we just had no means of weak side rim protection on the roster. Like our, our weak side rim protectors were Keldon Johnson and Doug McDermott. So there, there wasn't a whole lot of help around the rim once you bring Yakabout into space. And so while I do think he kind of hangs well in switches and is can actually play pretty well in a slightly more aggressive scheme, we just didn't have anywhere near the defensive talent at the forward spot that you really need to make that effective. I think that's a big reason of what makes uh, the draft so interesting because there's a lot of there's a lot of talent there that would be beneficial to that. But I also think that kind of shows the limitations of a center like Yakub where he's not quite the Rudy Gobert level of enormous physical beast who's going to protect the rim at all costs. And he's not exactly allowing you to play a more aggressive defensive scheme. He's just, he's not going to screw anything up. He's going he's to block shots and he's going to be sound in his role. But if you don't surround that with decent defensive talent on the wings, at least it's kind of a pretty hard cap as to how high you can get defensively. Much less what it means on the offensive side, where I think he was he was really good offensively this year for for his skill set. But I just think that having a great defensive center is nice, and I think that you probably need that to have a truly effective defense in the regular season and somewhat in the postseason. But it's it's a lot harder to do than just like say put this big guy back here and it'll be fine because that was not the case in San Antonio this year at all. Um. Yeah, I. It's kind of weird with San Antonio, like, because why is your defense not better? Like, is that fair to ask? Because because Jakob, <laughs> Jakob is good, right? Murray's I think, great. Yeah, I think Vassell... Losing Whitehurst. Yeah, losing Whitehurst. But even before that, they weren't that good on defense. And, like, DeJounte mm-hmm. is obviously... I mean, look, uh, at least based on reputation, really good. Devin Vassell, really good team defender at the very least. Keldon Johnson... I think is a pretty good defender. Like this should be a better defensive team already than it is. Should it not? Or am I just way off on all that? Yeah. I think that I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we played like a bench lineups of either Drew Eubanks, Jacques Landau or Zach Collins for the minutes the Jakob's off the floor, which definitely, uh, it's not great. Uh, definitely hurts. I think a lot of it really has to do though with, with that forward defense. I mean, we played big minutes with, with Doug McDermott and Keldon Johnson on the floor at the same time. And I think Keldon is, he's fine on ball, especially against bigger guys. I think he did a, a, a good job showing himself against guys like, uh, like, like Pascal Siakam and, and bigger forwards, but he's not particularly impactful as a team defender. He doesn't really generate any blocks. He, he can occasionally jump passing lanes, but then you have Doug McDermott who's not providing much of anything on the defensive end.
Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. Yeah, it's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New New episodes of Fly on the Wallin' drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallin' wherever you get your podcasts.